0: The fact that we're black people, we're citizens of the world's most largest black nation on earth, Mm -hmm. we still have to remind our governments that black lives still matter we can all recall the black lives matter movement in the u.s minnesota in the uk i mean you can talk about how black people were protesting against years of, of racism and all of that mm-hmm. but then in our own black nation we still have to remind a black government a black security force that black lives still matter it's 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 absolute madness
1: absolutely and then yeah.
0: we started to realize that the issue here yeah, is bad governance if we had good people that actually had the the interest of the masses of the population especially of young people at heart Mm -hmm. radical steps would have been taken to mitigate to limit this monster that is wearing its head in our society but nothing absolutely nothing was done about it and that was why young people came out on the street
1: Welcome to your favorite podcast of all time, Sakina Speaks. My name is Sakina Ishabani and I'm your host. Doing the absolute most on this platform, we come yet again to have the conversations and discussions about the things that matter. Thought-provoking and completely out of the box in the sense that we are really trying to shake tables and make people aware of the things that many of us see, many of us are affected by, but very little of us actually have the guts, you know, the confidence to speak out on and to address. Dress head on. And today I bring you no other than a woman who is not afraid to do just that and to bring those who need to be brought to the table to be accountable for the actions that are affecting the entire country, their nation, and the continent to account. I'm speaking of no other uh, than Rinu Odwala. Now she is an extremely influential, extremely intelligent, and remarkable young lady at only 23 years of age, but who is shaking out the continent, bringing the Nigerian politicians to their knees. In the sense that she is not allowing them to continue to ridicule and bring the destinies of the young African people in her country to disrepute, to completely snuff out the chances, the possibilities, and the lives of the future of Nigeria. This young lady is an advocate for humanity. She's a brand strategist and an influencer. She's an executive director at the Marigold ROFDN. As she was one of 2020's 100 Most Influential Young Nigerians, one of Wine. Y- niger's most influential voices in nigerian politics bbc most influential woman in africa 2020 look she is one of the most decorated young people you will meet on the african continent today and she is speaking to us on today's episode rinu amongst all the other amazing things that you're doing i'm super privileged that uh, you could take out the time to have this conversation with me today.
0: thank you so much sakina you know i'm really really excited to be i can't
1: even wait to get down to talking let's do this Thank you. Today we're speaking about something that is extremely painful, something that is extremely close to your heart, and we're speaking about NSARS, right? And even more than that, we're speaking about, it's sort of a reflection on democracy as a whole, you know, as an entirety on the African continent. It's actually quite cool that I'm from the DRC, you're from Nigeria, and we actually received independence in the same year, which was the year 1960. And this reminds me of a song that Bernaboy Boy actually sang, which is called Another Story. And it says that, you know, they want to tell us another story. Since 1960, then they play us, Wayu. And like, when I heard those lyrics, I was like, like, oh my God, this makes so much sense because it really feels like we've been living a lie. We've been living a scam. And this, this whole democracy that we're supposed to be embracing and loving and that is supposed to be changing our lives and really moving us forward and completely making us forget about the shackles that we had before is sort of digging us deeper into that hole, you know? What are your thoughts on the state of the African continent at this point, even before we just get down to business within your very own country?
0: Thank you very much, um, Sakina. You know, for me, I also sort of run... Uh, space um, on Twitter, you know, at times probably once in a month or twice where I get to bring African activists mm-hmm. um, on that and we sort of discuss what's happening in their own country. Because more than often not, you as a person tend to sort of dwell in what is happening in your own country mm-hmm. without looking at what's happening in other countries around you and seeing or trying to figure out how interconnected, you know, these issues, maybe. Absolutely. So I, I sort of thought to myself that I've, I've been to Ghana and then I, I, I've seen Afri- um, Ghana, Ghanaian youth, rather, talking about how they want to fix the country. Is a hashtag in their country, fix the country hashtag. And when I look at the hashtag and talk to the frontliners that are propelling, the, you know, this movement, it sort of feel like they're talking about Nigeria. It's not mm-hmm. like that. And I wonder how different are we really in the context of things. When I talk to people from Kenya, you know, from Congo, I've talked to people from the DLC, mm-hmm. I've talked to activists um, from Zambia. And then when they start talking, I wonder: are you guys Nigerians or have you ever been to Nigeria? Why are you talking about my country? Because yeah. these issues are often. Interconnected, and then I don't blame those who say that is Africa really a continent? Is Africa not even a country? Although yeah. you know, it might it might seem derisive in some why some people say it. But then when you look at it in terms of issues, many of the issues that we're facing politically, economically, socially, is often interwoven. Talking about poverty, we're talking about lack of jobs, um, lack of good leadership. We're talking about lack of good healthcare, basic amenities. We're talking about our political leadership. We have almost the same complaints mm-hmm. to make. And I often tend to ask people as well that um, in Africa, who do we think are the actual problem? Is it the leaders? or are the followers? Mm-hmm. Um, um, are the leaders the problem or are the followers the problem? And then people send, tend to give some different sort of answers. So they think the thing that the followers think that the leaders, I spoke to an intelligent man recently, the son of the late fellow, Kuti, Sean Kuti. Mm-hmm. And then he said that our problem is not even one. We cannot pinpoint to one thing and, and say, this is our problem. Yeah. We do not have one problem. We have so many issues that at times we tend to compartmentalize. So in terms of, Africa currently, I think that we have such a great continent that could easily be one of the leading continents. I mean, the forefront continent out there. We have everything that we could have prayed for in terms of our religious africans are. we have everything we could have asked for we could have fasted for we mm-hmm. could have gone to church and gone to <laughs> mosque for we have all those things that we think they were praying for we have everything. but what we lack in essence, it's good people that are going to utilize these resources and turn it into something that we're all going to benefit from. Mm-hmm. What we have currently, generally across Africa, people that just that just think about themselves, that do not think about the people. Like the Zambian activists who say we have people, we've given our leadership to people that are criminals. Yes. And we've sat down and watched them hijack both our present and our future? This was currently wrong with Africa. Mm -hmm. We have criminals in power rather than having good people who have the the, the interest of the population, of the masses at heart. What we have there are people that want to turn political offices into dynasties, you know, Mm -hmm. turn it into a sort of family inheritance, Mm and start start sharing the family, the political seats from family to family. So, what's wrong for me? how, How we can begin to move on from this point? What is wrong currently with Africa? Why is it that? Somebody asked me a question, sorry that I'm trying to go, you know, on and on, and said that, why is it that in the past, white people come to Africa, and then they force us to go on their ships, you know, try to train us to go on the ships Mm and take us to their own country, and asked me a question, today, if a white man brings a plane, or say a ship, and says... Are you guys gonna come? How many young people or how many Africans do you think are going to go on that ship? I mean, More than you will ever count. People exactly, are jumping, but literally jumping to go to their countries. Why is, is this is that, is that still the same status quo today? Mm-hmm. Because we have, I don't want to use long words. <laughs> I use a lot of words for these people, but then we have criminals mm-hmm. who have refused to think about the people.
1: No that's true. I mean that means that the, the situation has deteriorated because if we went from being forced to get onto these ships, these proverbial ships and now we are literally jumping to get into these ships and shipping ourselves, then that means you know it's only getting worse and we need to ask ourselves what, what has changed, you know, what is the real issue. But just like you said, it's not just one part. It's not just one thing. It's not just one person. We need to keep asking these questions in order for us to start really remedying the situation because it's getting worse and worse.
0: Absolutely. You're right.
1: Now let's take it to Nigeria, right? The reason for this episode, it was something that broke my heart. I think it broke a lot of Africans' hearts and especially because Nigeria is such a peaceable nation, you know, it's not the one to be in the news for protests or, you know, for riots or anything like that and even in this case you know when you resorted to that you know because enough was enough and there wasn't much more that could be said or that could be bargained or that could be you know peacefully marched or anything like that it it was still a peaceful protest it was still peaceful rights and everything but it ended in the way that it did which was a very very unfortunate circumstance as a person that was on the ground as a forerunner you know within this fight to end SARS please just give us an idea you know paint us a picture of what the situation was and unfortunate because we're still continuing in this fight you know what it is what are the sentiments of the people on ground you know your your fellow activists like your dj switch and and your uh falarin False falana you know what is the situation right now
0: well that's such a tough question to ask i mean The situation currently is a traumatic one, Mm -hmm. Um, one that people are wondering, people are asking, young people are looking around and trying to get a glimpse of hope for us to hang on to, for us to hold on to. People that do not even know what SARS was about, There were this police force units. For Nigerians, for decades, we have dealt with police brutality for as long as we can recall. Mm-hmm. It's always the police trying to extort you. The police is trying to harass you. The police is arresting someone indiscriminately. They are brutalizing somebody. Or in worst cases, they're torturing someone or killing the person extrajudicially. Mm-hmm. and the demographic that I suffered from this you know senseless acts of violence I have from the young people from ages as young as 17 mm-hmm. um, to whatever age you want to call it 50 40 30 these people have borne the brunt of police brutality for a very long time in Nigeria and then 2020 you know I think that coupled with A lot of things, say the pandemic, um, the protests, the Black Lives Matter movement that happened. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us begin to realize that if we do not stand up to do something, to walk the talk, to do something rather than trend hashtags, we would become victims tomorrow, Mm -hmm. we would become the ones that have died as a result of police brutality and are now being a part of the statistics. So people felt that we needed to do something about it. We needed to speak. We needed to stand up. I could go on and on and start explaining how the protest started, but what is more important, or in this conversation, is that hundreds of thousands of young Nigerians yes. peeled out onto the to demand for end to police brutality. That was all they were asking for. Mm -hmm. And then they began to realize that this demand did not just start today. We've been demanding for anti-police brutality for over decades. But then a particular disbandment of these SAS units, we've been demanding for, say, close to five years now. And we've largely gone ignored. So we began to think, what is actually the main cause of having to demand and then we're not being listened to. It's bad governance. Mm -hmm. If we actually had good governance in our country, we would have been listened to a long time ago. If we actually had good governance in Nigeria, issues of police brutality would not be as prevalent as it is today. Mm -hmm. I mean, police brutality is everywhere. You can go to the UK, go to the US and all of that. But the prevalence in Nigeria is astronomical. You cannot begin to think think about the madness that goes on here Mm -hmm. in the hands of police officers and i said something when i was speaking to the guardian uk recently that the fact that we're black people we're citizens of the world's most largest black nation on earth Mm -hmm. we still have to remind our government that black lives still matter. We can all recall the Black Lives Matter movement in the US, in Minnesota, in the UK. I mean, you can talk about how black people were protesting against years of, of racism and all of that. Mm-hmm. But then, in our own black nation, we still have to remind a mm-hmm. black government, a black security force, that black lives still matter. It's 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 absolute madness.
1: Absolutely. And then yeah.
0: we started to realize that the issue, yeah, is bad governance. If we had good people that actually had the, the interest of the masses of the population especially of young people at heart mm-hmm. radical steps would have been taken to mitigate to limit this monster that is veering its head in our society but nothing absolutely nothing was done about it and that was why young people came out on the street so we started demanding for enhanced public brutality and an enhanced bad governance and we began to ask questions. Why is this even happening in the first place? Mm-hmm. Why do we have to be excited to leave our own homeland? Why do we have to congratulate ourselves for leaving our own our own country? Look around today. Whenever a young person leaves the country, the family starts congratulating them. Even people on social media start saying congratulations. Have we ever examined what has brought about that hat? Yeah. Because we, we we know that in our own country we're not literally safe. Nobody is safe in our country. So we feel we feel relieved to go to sane places that are. At least, even if we have to battle with issues of racism, even if we have to battle with other issues, we know that we are safe. So what essentially brought young people out on the street was first survival, because we need to live before True. we start thinking of getting jobs, before we start thinking of feeding our families or trying to become successful people or trying to um, take up leadership positions, we first have to survive. But what's happening is that we're being killed off. That is, this is how, you know, the entire protest last year started. And then during the protest, you could see how young people demonstrated unity. It was it is a movement on like, like you've <laughs> never seen. You yeah, know, um, the way we've always been divided. You're from Africa. You know how we are always divided along tribal lines. Mm-hmm. How it's often you're from this tribe, so. We sort of got to have an issue or you're from that tribe. So they asked to be an issue or a religion, the bane of Africa. All those things were put aside. We never cared who was standing beside us, whether you're from the north or from the south. I didn't care. All I cared was that you were protesting against police brutality and bad governance. And then those lines that that have always been used to divide us, it suddenly didn't matter. Those things that we've thought for a very long time that mattered never mattered at all. Mm -hmm. People were praying, Christians were praying, Muslims were praying. I mean, there was formidable strength uh, uh, in unity because we put what was important to us on the front line and on the international map. Mm -hmm. And good governance was demonstrated the way we've always thought to ourselves that my friend, don't let me lie to you. This country, you know, if you work. You know, mm-hmm. as an African, you sometimes just tell yourself, just get tired and say, I don't think things can ever work in my country because there's literally a myriad my of issues. But then during the protest, the organizing groups made the movement mirror a functioning society Things that we thought were impossible became possible. Mm -hmm. Food was provided, legal aid, medical emergencies, mental health emergencies, setting up helplines, attending to people on time, funding, you know, a lot of things that you thought could never be possible. Providing medical services in a country where... You don't even have good healthcare system. Mm-hmm. You don't. Your presidents they cannot even use the hospitals in your own country. They have to travel to other countries.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then all that was eradicated. People saw that a working nation is actually possible. Should we talk about transparency and accountability? How the organizing groups were sharing daily financial reports. You wow. know, Sharing financial updates and all of that. In a country where corruption has become endemic in the system, yeah, and of this, you know, out there, even respect for the rule of law, even the young people were angry what, what was being done and how young other young people were being killed, even if protesters, you know, were being brutalized, were being arrested, were being killed, even while demanding one hand to produce brutality, the answers protesters did not even take laws into their own hands, yeah. But then, what happened? Nigerian government, seeing all this, decided to attack the protest by first sending this evil element. i we call them woodlums. You can refer to them as stouts, You can, mm-hmm. but then I, I tend to look at them as that population, that that segment of the population that as become victims as well because they are victims in all of this Mm -hmm. victims of the lack of education victims of poverty and now they've become tools in the hands of politicians to be able to use do whatever they want to do so uh, they send them and after that they send police officers and then soldiers to destroy the protest and what would you see in this i mean before I, i hand that i wanted to talk about empathy as well yeah our just donated their money their services their data everybody became their own brother's keeper you know we didn't care about if you were rich or poor if you had a car or not mm-hmm. we became the change we wanted to to see you know like that popular heritage that says that be the change you wish to see or yes for. we became that change and then what happened the Nigerian states became afraid of a working Nigeria. They became afraid that if the Nigeria that we've been clamoring for appears, if Nigeria begins to work, I mean all their political interests will be in danger. Mm-hmm. They would not would not have this, this system that does not seem to work again. You would suddenly see that cannot work. Will begin to work. So they attacked the protest. They drowned the NSAS protest last year in blood. Mm -hmm. And it was brutal to see. And when you ask me about what is the state now, remember I started with oh it's a traumatic experience. Because young people came up with a lot of hope in their hearts that the country they yearn for, they would finally get. But what did they get in return? Blood and tears and more mm-hmm. deaths a lot of young people were killed not just at the toll gate but then all over lagos not just even in lagos in nigeria just for demanding front end to police brutality mm-hmm. and bad government so the state currently i mean it's, it's what i've just described to you it's, it's, uh, it's a traumatic one it's a pathetic one but then in spite of all of this we're still resilient, we still know that whatever I mean, as has happened to us, we cannot let it go in vain, we cannot mm-hmm. let the people that have died die in vain and that we just have to keep fighting. There is a new newfound sense of patriotism or a new mm-hmm. spirit of patriotism, not just in the borders of the country, but beyond the borders of the country, in Ghana and Kenya, where where protesters were also protesting for for the NSAS, end of the NSAS units, to London, to Paris, to the UK, to the US, you know, that patriotism that this country must work and it has to work in our own lifetime
1: it's it's really a really, really desperate situation. For those of us who do not know what happened, um, in Nigeria were a bit ignorant to what happened or, or what the NSARS movement is all about, beginning from last year. But just like Renu said, this has been happening for for more than than what we saw last year and the year before. Um, for over five years, um, the youths of Nigeria, in fact, the Nigerian citizens have been demanding for an end to police brutality and bad governance. And what happened was last year they took to the streets um in order to, to protest. Peace. Peacefully, you know, to just bring... To the awareness of not only to the government and international audience, just to say, you know what we really want, just like she said, the Nigeria that we've been yearning for, that we deserve, that we've been seeking for, that we know that we can have, and that we need to have in order to thrive and to be the people that we need to be, in order to just be, you know. And what happened was uh, this culminated in a very bloody and unfortunate incident on the twentieth of October, twenty twenty, at the Lekki Toll Gate, where you know these peaceful protesters gathered at the Lekki Toll Gate and were shot, unarmed, peaceful protesters many of them in in their really really young ages you know and um just like she said it was a moment it was a time you know in history where they were really looking to say and to see that finally our demands will be met you know finally this country that we've been dreaming of this this it's, it's actually almost sad that, you know, we kind of see it as a utopia because this should be the status quo. This should be just our everyday, our our normal circumstances that children can go to school and receive quality education. Healthcare is provided for and is accessible to everybody. Um, safety, you know, is is the order of the day and that uh, most importantly that government officials are actually working for and advocating for the rights of those citizens that they claimed to, to be for, you know, when they were campaigning. And that law enforcement is actually enforcing the law and not misusing their power to abuse the very citizens that they they pledged to protect. And so in that event, many of these young people were killed in cold blood, uh, shot in cold blood by the very same people that, you know, were sworn in to protect them. And ever since then, just like she said, it's been a very traumatic experience. But the fire has not died because more than ever now it's about making sure just like she said that that, that blood did not just spill in vain, that the government doesn't think they won, that these criminals you know, do not go scot-free because enough is indeed enough. And I really just want to know now the extent to which Renu, I know I remember reading in the news that you actually, your, your bank account was frozen. And I I was just like, this is so outrageous. You know, you're literally just protesting peacefully just to say, yo, stop what you guys are doing. This is not okay. We're just trying to live our normal lives. And you call us the future of the country. So why are you trying to end us off? What do you want the country to become? So So what are, you know, what have been the effects of you fighting this fight of being an activist against corrupt police officials
0: well i mean first i'd like to start with the fact that um if the cost for the fight of freedom there will always be sacrifices there mm-hmm. will always be consequences you the fight for freedom is not a piece of cake it's not mm-hmm. a cake meal it's not a fight you'd enter thinking that you're going to get famous we're gonna get fame or get famous or get rich Mm -hmm. (laughs) or there's some sort of profit from it and more than often not there is this popular quote that says that the the revolution will not be televised yes yes, for me when I think of that quote it says to me that the revolution actually that is not going to be televised. It's not just talking about it going live on TV or or the radio or anything. It's talking about the fact that how it's it's often not going to be planned. <laughs> it's not going to be. I I don't know the what to use for it. Perhaps sensational. It yeah, it's it's not going to be something that you would have envisioned, and it will go exactly a lot a- a- as you as you've envisioned it, as you mm-hmm. planned it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never planned for the NSAS movement to become such a global movement. All I was trying to do was ask for an end police brutality, and I, I, I hope that I will be listened So, You know, it wasn't. You could never imagine at the, in the beginnings of the protest the magnitude yeah. of. How the protest is going to reach you just you're just doing your own thing and then you know it caught a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. I mean we could go on and on into the details but like you said people just finally decided enough was enough. Yes. And like I said the Nigerian government became afraid of the working in Nigeria and the very first thing that was done was to freeze our accounts. A lot of protesters' accounts were frozen we were dragged to court for our involvement in the NSAS protest. Um, the government started handing coordinators of the protest across the country in different ways. Protesters were being picked up from their homes and transferred to another state entirely without the knowledge of their of their families, wow. DSS um, wow. trails. I went on the judicial panel immediately after the protest ended because I knew that we needed to continue the fight. Mm-hmm. But even in spite of that, I had DSS trails, they dragged us to court. The Nigerian government came out to tag us terrorists, tag us insurrectionists. The central bank governor came out to say we were trying to plot against uh, the sovereignty of the nation. Wow. I mean, there was a lot of attacks, I mean, troll attacks. There was this, which is still currently going on, a properly sponsored government campaign against the Frontliners of the NSAS movement with a lot of propaganda. I mean, a lot of government boats just mm-hmm. sprang up on social media to start attacking frontliners. They were threats online and have offline every day, including the essay to the governor of Lagos State threatening me. You know, online. I think my passport was seized as well. Wow, my passport was seized. I was placed on the, the called it a no-fly list or a blacklist thing where we're put on we couldn't fly out of the country and journalists told me that they have credible sources that i was going to be killed and nothing would happen i mean i was even attacked in front of my school i was almost stabbed in front of my my school as a government-owned school i was also warned in the school that i'll be killed if i return (laughs) if i return to school and after a few months funny enough after i was warned A student activist was also killed right in front of the school, unknown. Gunmen men also visited my former home in February after I stepped up the judicial panel. I stepped up the judicial panel after saying that the government will be trying to use us for performative actions. I could go on and on. There were phone threats in my life. There were cyber attacks, harassment. I mean, the government went on and on. And still very much on, not just um, for me alone, but then for many of the frontliners. The attack yes. is co on us. Like I said... They are afraid of you walking in Nigeria.
1: Jeez. Hearing of this I think another reason why Most people were not Very responsive or didn't understand I think at the beginning Of the NCRS movement I, I didn't understand I was a bit I was a bit frozen in shock Because many of these things You hear about But it's it's just really A lot to take in It's a lot to fathom If I'm to put it that way I, I just never could imagine That this would happen Like within the 21st century You know 2021 uh, 2020 in this case And it's just so surreal You know we hear about uh, For example from the DRC You know genocides And everything like that And it's great when you read it in history You know, it's something very remote It's something that is almost fantastical Because you can't I mean, you can imagine it But you can't really think to yourself That this could happen in real life In broad daylight Policemen shooting at you With the intention to kill It's absurd And then going to such extreme lengths Just to keep you quiet I mean, and to think that was that was not even the height of it. The other part or the other point of this this entire thing that that really just baffled me is how the government constantly kept denying that these things ever happened. And how there was a there was an entire Instagram live video. Thank God it was a live video. So there's no way you can even question the credibility, even though they do not stop at that. They question the credibility of that. But people actually died. Like people were buried, you know, families lost lives. And this was a real attack on people, on humanity, on your nation, on your citizens. And I, I just, I just can't. I, it, it was just, it was just a lot. It was, so much And and just like you said It happened So close to You know The Black Lives Matter And that I took a serious hit From as well So I think a lot of people just They just couldn't imagine That this could happen So close to home And it could be so real In the way that it did
0: Absolutely You're very much um, Correct
1: Now you know We've properly put this into context we've we've understood the extent to which you have laid down your life you know to make sure that not only yourself but your nation really gets the society that it deserves and we saw that the government was extremely threatened by that that's the only thing that could justify them calling you terrorists but well, what are you terrorizing you know but yeah now what are what are some of the policies and reforms and and i know that this is this is extremely obvious look we're just looking for a country that is at peace every single day a country where we are allowed to live and and that is crazy in itself but what are some of the the policies and the reforms that the youth of Nigeria most importantly were looking for and are still looking for during this time.
0: Some of the policies I mean on reforms that young people still to think of is that cannot be grateful you know for a democracy where lives have been have been lost for speaking up. A lot of lives, a lot of people have died because they're just dead. Mm -hmm. to stand up or or, or to speak up and young people started imagining a new future like i said earlier we had so much hopes but then we were rudely shaken back to reality with the sounds of military guns and the cries of wounded colleagues Mm -hmm. we wanted to get concessions from the government in terms of police reforms that's why we were asking creating a new knowledge that a new understanding needs to be had on how leaders, especially public servants, should should relate and listen to to citizens' demand. Yes. We're also, you know, trying to make Nigerian citizenship, you know, our voices tangible and worthwhile enough for young people. We're also reiterating that notion that with our efforts and the creation of an accountability system, that Nigeria can be better. Mm -hmm. I mean, I said earlier that... We're not the only one doing it. We're doing it alongside thousands of young people, many in the same situations, people who have been complacent for decades. And the Nigerian society often reminded young people, in fact, m- more especially as a female, that you only needed to be seen and not to be, to be heard. Mm-hmm. So for one thing that we first wanted was an end to the senseless killings. If I was to put that in a broader context, an end to the senseless killings, people were being being killed off. We were furious um, because of fundamental issues, because like I said from the start, lack of basic amenities, lack of electricity, the non-existence, good roads, the distorted academic calendar, the absence of security, lack of enabling environment for entrepreneurship. And we can't even live without constantly, constantly walking on eggshells. It's, 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 it's something else. And then at the root of the police brutality, as an untrained and on underpaid boss, motivation is not a word that can be associated with the nigerian police force in fact the lack of motivation defines them in addition to them being grossly under trained and ridiculously Mm underpaid the nigerian police are also insufficiently equipped and this has bred frustration aggression inefficiency brutality within the force and we're demanding an end to that as well that you know, these people living conditions need to be changed. They need yes. to get an increase in their salaries so that they can be able to work better. They can work more efficiently. And we're also demanding for justice for all deceased victims of police brutality, appropriate compensation to, to their families. You see, you could look at this as a, a, a mirage of, of demands or set of demands. Mm-hmm. But then if you look at... The broader context, you'd see that all these points to bad governance. Because if we had good people in the right positions, today citizens would not have to ask for distance before it's been done because this is what we're talking about is actually the the quality of life in nigeria that is absolutely in the dredges or, or or in the mud and so basically all we were asking was a better living condition not just for the police force but then for every nigerian so we can all live in peace
1: indeed it's great that we're having this conversation to enlighten a lot more people right because that's that's what it's all about especially on this platform it's just to have these conversations to teach one another to get each other's perspectives and for movements like this to advance them in that what what do you say to people because i know that there are a lot of people who are like wow she's 23 i was very shocked i was but but then again you know i just learned about you and i was amazed at how much you're able to do and how you know articulate and bold you are and how you do not accept anything you know the, the 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 bare minimum because the standards must be met because those are literally the basic standards that's the quality of life as you said um so so anything less is unacceptable and i commend you for that and i commend you for standing on that especially given the fact that you had to go through and are still going through so many of these attacks and hindrances to so many areas of your life you know education your safety i mean if it was somebody else they would have buckled under the pressure or under the fear and they would have just given up the fight but you have continued and you keep speaking about it and you And you keep going strong, and I really commend you for that. What do you say to people who are shocked? you know at, at how young and bold you you are you know especially after all you've been able to achieve after how much awareness you've been able to create and how far you've been able to you know with the help of of your compatriots like i mentioned dj switch mr macaroni etc i even aisha yusufu even after all of that people that still are just like no this, this girl's just making mouth she's just she's just making noise she's just doing influencer, or whatever like what do you have to say to people like that especially to people who do not believe that in the young age they can have a voice which matters
0: well i grew up among people who were fixated on survival people who didn't have hopes of a next day meal mm mm-hmm. And it was heartbreaking to grow up knowing that these very people had little hopes of getting back home with their lives intact. I'm an average Nigerian. Like you said, many will say we don't even know her. She doesn't have a popular name or um, a foot in the 1% of the 1% in the nation or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I'm a part of that demographic that is often overlooked, who struggle for comfort. Where and how did I to influence a young female in a barely five-foot body?
1: <laughs> I mean,
0: frustration, oppression, upbreaking experiences, there's definitely a catalyst in that. However, for those who say that young people do not have any experience, I'd like to tell them that we have no time to waste our lives. For those who say that the youths of today are the leaders of tomorrow, for me, I stand to demand and I live demanding mm-hmm. that we don't have time to wait for that tomorrow. We need to be leaders today. Yes, The fact that we're young, and have no experience is exactly why we should be in those positions now. So we can begin to garner the experience that is needed. I mean, the people in leadership today, they are out of reality with what young people actually need for for their own um, generation. Young people today want their voices to be heard. We want jobs with decent wages that offer opportunities for a better life. And they say that young people are idle and lazy my mm-hmm. generation. But every day, we're showing our work or the impact that we're making to try and make people say that although we may be 25% of the population today, we are 100% of the future. So for those that say, She's too young. The fact that I am young is why I am demanding that I don't want to die. I don't want to die at this at this young age. I don't want to become one of the statistic, one thing, one very thing that keeps me fighting is survival. The fact that I want to have equal opportunities with other young people out there. Equal opportunities to be able to thrive, to be able to succeed, to be able to, to maximize my, my platform.
1: Yeah, you know? Yeah.
0: Also, I think that what people, that, that young people out there needs to be doing is to support them. Support them. Because, Absolutely. like I said, you don't have time to waste. We don't have any more time to waste. Even the, the leaders that we have today, they got into leadership when they were young. Mm-hmm. So why do we now say that the youth of today are the leaders of tomorrow? Nobody asked them to wait for tomorrow in their own time. They were given those positions. Yes. So we need... The same very young people today to be able to understand what we need, because it's obvious that the ones we have in power now are out of reality. And like someone I spoke to who say Pilato is a Zambian activist, he said that young people today have handed over their future to the leaders that do not have future they don't have any future anymore
1: mm-hmm. this is
0: their own present so they can they can destroy it all the ones because they don't have future but why were that why are they are destroying their own present they're also destroying our home future along with mm-hmm. it so mm-hmm. it's time that we stand up to take back that future because that's all we have that's all we're going to we're going to get And that's what the generation that's coming after us too is going to get. So what do we tell them? That we allowed their own future as well to be hijacked. No, young people deserve to be heard and listened to. And, And that's exactly why we're filling all the spaces that we can now. So if you say she's too young, (laughs) <laughs> I mean, the fact that I'm too young is the reason why I'm speaking up. So I, I do not become a statistic.
1: Powerful, very, very, very powerful. This is why I had to, just like she said, our voices need to be heard. It's it's for that very same reason that we are the future of tomorrow. That's why we need to start now. Um, and, and that's why I'm super privileged to really be facilitating this conversation, to be facilitating this platform where we make our voices heard and we make our voices get accounted for. Because indeed, they're the ones. That matter. We make up the I, I love what you said. She said we might be 25% of the population, but we are 100 percent of the future. And that's the attitude, that's the zeal that we need to be moving into the future with. And we need and, to understand. And
0: that. one more thing that I wanted to add that I, I didn't have there, that, that very more than often, you know, young people are also being told that our age is the limit to what we can accomplish. This is the age that you can now begin to do this. It's time also that other young people out there begin to that we are young enough if we are young enough to be impacted by crazy policies that has an impact on us yes. then we are young enough to have a seat at the table if we're young enough to be shot hat on the streets just for having an high phone or a car, then we're young enough to begin to fight against police brutality.
1: Absolutely.
0: If we're young yes. enough to represent a threat for an establishment, to begin to refer to us as terrorists, as insurrectionists, so that we can remain silent, then we're young enough to begin to take leadership in that very same establishment. We're young enough to develop, to carry our own projects. We're young enough to also teach those experienced people the older generation about our own experiences it's, it's not a one-way road it's it's a it's a, it's a two-way thing mm-hmm. so it is when this understanding is built that we can begin to get the most you know out of our society
1: absolutely now do you think that this is basically a remnant of our colonial society right or our colonial past rather you know the roots basically just manifesting the order, the fruits rather, manifesting themselves because the roots were never properly plucked out. Do you think that not just the Nigerian situation, I mean, the Congolese situation is just as devastating, if not worse. And do you then think that this is all happening because of those colonial predecessors and the seeds that they planted that we might have not even seen during that time or that, our ancestors had not seen during that time and it's just boiling over to today or do you think that it was just a mismanagement of of a power that we didn't understand that is now resulting in this bad governance and the corruption and the killing and all that we see today
0: I have two views about this. I believe that we're still protesting against institutions historically built to advance objectives of colonial domination and and oppression. And you can see that that it's not just NSAS, it's also Black Lives Matter movement and all of that, which have the same message you know, the right to existence. It's has basically the same message mm-hmm. that our lives actually matter. And then when you look at um, many African political institutions, they are also remnants of colonialism. The Nigerian police force was founded as a force to use force against our own citizens it was founded mm-hmm. in say maybe 1820 or so and then the original goal of this force was to quash dissent was to silence forces was to silence masses rather yes, was yes. to make them keep quiet yes. to make the british mer- merchants who were in the region then you know be able to do whatever they wanted to do and then the the force primarily functioned as an instrument of political terror so so when Nigeria gained independence from a British empire in 1960, it inherited a power vacuum. And then what did it do? It it, it has spent the entire, say, 60-something years now trying to retain that identity, that political climate that was not built to uphold human rights or democratic ideals. Yes. It was was still there, you know, to further colonial... uh, Objectives, uh, um, yeah. ...domination, exactly, Or, or, or objectives, like you said. So when Nigerian leaders obviously took over the power, all they did was inherit that, and then used the very same force to now further their own agenda. To say, well, the oppressors who gave us this independence, they've gone now, but then this was what they used to do. So this is what we will also use the security forces to do. And as you can see today, they are now using the security forces to protect like the british empire used to do they are now using the our home very security for to also protect their own political interests, yes. to hijack ballot yes. boxes, to 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 perpetrate uh, electoral violence, to eliminate political opponents, a lot of things, to clamp down on human rights, to ask people not to protest any longer, to shoot at young protesters on the streets demanding for an end to police brutality. So that's one word for me. I think that um, it is an inheritance, and then you can see that this is is manifesting like. Question you ask is manifesting its fruits in the present. The other way I look at it is that. Many leaders or citizens rather that now become leaders are just terrible people Mm -hmm. and they're not ready to change the system because they benefit from it. Yes, They benefit from the oppression of their own fellow citizens. They benefit from the suppression. They benefit from the domination. They benefit from the system being wrong. They benefit from the fact that we have to literally look at them as, as gods. They benefit from the fact that because of the lack of education, people cannot properly question public servants. Mm -hmm. We cannot properly question where our funds are being diverted into. Because of the way the system is, we cannot protest for our own rights because we do not even think that we have, we do not even know that we have rights in yes. the first place. We think yes. that they have to give us the rights. We do not know that human rights can never be given. You already have it, and nobody exactly. can take it from you. We do not have the proper enlightenment. We've not been out there. You know, when an African goes out there to Western nations or other same nations out there, you'd almost cry because you'd see how a functioning society should look like, but because they are benefiting from the system, they do not allow us to see, and they've kept us in poverty. So how many Africans have actually gone out of Africa to see how this is how a society is supposed to function. Mm -hmm. This is how me or I as a citizen should exercise my rights These people that are there, they're supposed to be answering to me. They are not there for themselves. I'm not serving them. They are the ones serving me. So because of the lack of education, lack of jobs, proper education, healthcare, uh, a lot of things, a lot of citizens um, do not even know, like I said, what a functional society should look like. So these leaders, they benefit, you know, from it. And that's why I said from the start that they're just plainly. Terrible people that are benefiting because, I mean, Nigeria uh, has now spent over 60 years. So, I mean, we celebrated 60-something years of independence in October. And do you really think that we should still be blaming white people for our problems? We've had 60 years. You talked about Congo as well, gaining independence um, mm-hmm. in 90 We've had 60-something years to rebuild our nations. From what it was to what it should be. Look mm-hmm. at Dubai. In how many years did they begin to build what they have now, that people are thronging in the numbers to that place? So we've had ample number of years to stop the blaming, to stop the fingers and build a functioning society. But because then that <laughs> the people we have choos- chosen to elect as well mm-hmm. are wholly there to their own interests, they cannot build a, a, a sane society instead of build good hospitals in the nation, they instead prefer to abandon them and travel to saner nations, you know, to get treatment. It's because they're simply terrible people. Do you understand? So I look at I it agree, in two yeah. so different ways. The fact that yes, we still have institutions that were built on colonialism and the fact that we've had ample number of years to actually stop blaming people who have left over 60 years ago. It's time to look inwards to ourselves and see if we are truly good people that really want our society to function. If yes, in 60 years or 60 something years, what exactly have we achieved in gaining independence? Mm -hmm. What exactly?
1: You know, as you were saying this, I was just nodding and smiling because I completely agree. And I love that one angle that you said that the government right now is doing exactly the same thing that the colonial government was doing in using those very same special forces to protect, you know, their interests and to protect against the people who are actually demanding um, their rightful rights, you know, and it reminded me of a thought process that I just had one day at work, actually quite randomly, where I was thinking that, um, and it goes back to something you said at the beginning of our conversation, which is that these people are victims as well. And this angle of of victimization is one that, that looks at you know the current politicians or the current people in power as people who have been so tortured and degraded and disenfranchised to an extent where they think that the only way to not be a victim is to become like the tyrant and it was a very painful realization but i think it was something that really put the african situation into context because many of these leaders it's literally a you're either winning or you're losing and in such a a very distorted way to look at life but i think at this point we have no choice but to accept that as a reality or to accept that as the way of thinking or the mindset that these people operate in because i just can't get it it's either i am oppressing or i am oppressed and that's that's the reason why we have an africa that's the reason why we have nations that look the way they look right now because we have just continued those imperial objectives and aims
0: um like you said it's either the oppressing, um uh, me or then I'm the one doing the oppression, there's a saying in my nation that um, many of us do not really hate oppression. We just hate that we're not the one doing the the oppression. We're not the oppressor. Mm -hmm. And I've tend to analyze that statement over and over again. I find faults in it. But then day by day, when you look at our leadership, I mean, many of them do not actually hate oppression when it was being done to them. They actually hate it, then they are known to, then they're not the oppressors. And mm-hmm. that is why, in their positions today, they are the ones doing the oppression
1: now in closing Midu, thank you so very much for taking out your time once again for sharing with us on this platform I really do hope and I know that so many people are going to be enriched by this conversation they're going to learn so much more and I think it's also going to open up a lot of people to stop being ignorant and to, to stop living in their very own bubble and to understand not only that our situations intertwine but that we are one people and that we need to start being not only more considerate of our sister nations and of our fellow African brothers and sisters you know wherever they are, or just humanity in general, regardless of the race, the the religion, the tribe, etc. We just need to be our brother's keeper. But also that Africans need to really know what is happening and what is going on with their fellow Africans. When you said the hashtag Fix the Country in Ghana, you know, I was ashamed to an extent because I was like, I don't know about this, you know. And from the country that I'm currently living in, we just have a very comfortable sense of, okay, we are good. So it's like, okay, this is happening there, well, at least it's not happening to me, you know. And and it's and it's horrible. It's Really, really bad, and and I think if I wasn't Congolese, I would have completely just fallen into that trap. But because I have that consciousness of I I need to know what's happening in my country, I'm constantly kept up to date um, with what is happening in my country, and I love Nigeria. and I'm just a very Pan African person. That there's that. But if you ask me what is happening in Morocco right now, you know I can't tell you. If you ask me what is happening in Eritrea or what is happening in Mali, I can't tell you. In Ethiopia, yes, it has reached the global level. You know now everybody knows what is happening. I'm With the rebel groups that that are attacking in Ethiopia. But the point is, we really need to be more conscious of of our surroundings of our continent and of our people because how do we expect ourselves to become that superpower that we need to be if we're not united so in closing how can non-nigerians right people like myself people that are outside of nigeria help to advance this help to bring an end to this police brutality in nigeria
0: the most important thing is that Like you said, if I didn't talk about it, you wouldn't know that it's happening. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't know that such an hashtag exists. The most important thing, is that if no one talks about it, no one would know that it's happening? The voices of Nigerian youths are being silenced in the country that should encourage them to speak up. Our safe spaces are shrinking. I mean, what safe spaces are available for young people in Nigeria today? How can we fully contribute to, to our society? Are we even being encouraged or how are we being encouraged to become active community citizens? Were young people not shot and killed mean, going? peaceful protest you know last year and young people not still dying daily from police violence, even after the global movement. The Nigerian leaders even realize the challenges and contributions of young people, who are they trying to restrict our access to expression, who mm-hmm. are fighting for a better Nigeria, that Nigeria where a normal graduate can get a high-paying job, afford to pay their rent, plan for the future, a country where the police or the law enforcement agencies will, under no circumstances, physically abuse of our little rights of citizens. And that future is currently threatened. We want a future where we can look back, you know, and not regret leaving. Mm-hmm. However, this future is becoming increasingly difficult um, to grasp because the Nigerian government is afraid that if we're allowed to participate, things will get better. The recklessness, the impunity, which is Nigerian leaders... Afraid of a working Nigeria. So people need to keep speaking up. If you ask me, is the future still bright? Mm-hmm. I don't know what to say. Our future is being mortgaged and sold off to the bidder, And those dreams wow. that we've had are being killed, and our ambitions have been squashed. And our dreams, like I said, are becoming unrealizable by the government of the day. Looks at the bottom line is that we're frustrated. We've been driven to our breaking point and we've reached. Uh, elastic limits. If there's anything young Nigerians are certain of today, it is the uncertainty of our future. However, like I said, we cannot be grateful for a democracy where lives have been lost for speaking up. With the usage of ENSAS, both on social media and the shouts and reality, hope now comes alive in the mm-hmm. hearts of young Nigerians who want a better country, who we'll fight for a democracy instead of a dictatorship. It's uniting us in our struggle against police brutality and bad governance. So people have to speak up even while we're doing so in nigeria that newfound spirit of unity that united us last year that enabled other young people even if they were non-nigerians those that were nigerians outside the borders of the country to carry up placards and support the movement in nigeria mm-hmm. as to now start spreading across we need now to start realizing that wherever you are it doesn't matter if you're not in the country or you're not from the country the fact that you're human alone is, is is why you should join your voice, your platform, wherever you are, you know, to that movement, to demand that young people stop dying needlessly. The fact that you're human alone and listening to this is enough for you to realize that human lives matter Yeah, and Nigerian lives matter. So we can't... We can't back down but not definitely going to back down from demanding for rights and inclusion from the government and like you asked from the start um, our young people are holding the government accountable we're not going to stop doing that because now there is a social consciousness a new social contract being written that what we've always known should actually be the norm and that is the highest office in the land it's not the office of the president or the governor or some ministers or senators mm-hmm. the highest office of land is the office of the citizen and that is the office that we started to activate and more importantly Nigeria is all we have all many of us have and we have a right to demand that it works for all of us not just for the children of the politicians or the rich it has to work for the children of the common man as well Nigeria has to work for all of us
1: ladies and gentlemen that was rinu odwala thank you so very much I mean this is a privilege this is a serious privilege because I know that her greatness is going to go far beyond this it already has it's traveled across borders and her voice um you know has echoed throughout the land um just like I say on the Sakina Speaks podcast keep the conversation going and make your voice heard we are the majority you know we are the people that these laws these reforms and in fact this anarchy this impunity affects the most because we are the population we are the reason why these people are in power and therefore we need to be served just like she said, um, we're not there to serve them, but they are there to serve us. And this democracy needs to work for us. If it is causing deaths, if it is causing futures to be ransomed then what democracy is that in fact it's just a decorated dictatorship and we need to put an end to that right now so thank you so much for listening to this episode keep the conversation going as we have said on twitter her handle is Savvy Renu that is S-A-W-V-Y capital letter R-I-N-U and on Instagram as well otherwise just search rinu Odwala that is O-D-U-A-L-A I really really am blessed to, to be able to speak to young africans like herself who are really doing phenomenal things and not allowing their sparks to die not allowing you know the the situations and the circumstances around them to snuff out that light to snuff out their lives even in the face of imminent danger, and I believe that by listening to this podcast, you will also have that spark reignited within yourself to be that person that you were born to be. We are born into communities, we are born to parents, we are born into families, and that means we need each other. Your strength is my strength, and right now we need to be Nigeria's strength. We need to be our brother's keeper, and we need to fight for all of our nations around the world. And not only Nigeria, we're speaking the DRC, the the illegal mining and using children as um, um the form of excavation you know for cobalt so many so many unfortunate things that are happening in the world right now we're talking xenophobia we're talking you know the the rebel attacks in in ethiopia there's there's just so much and and it just begs the question are you really being a brother's keeper are you being aware you know are you fighting the urge to be ignorant and to be comfortable within your very own bubble um and actually be conscious of what is happening around you be conscious of of the pains of those around you and actually do your active part to be a change and to be the reason why that comes to an end you're not going to end it on your own that is not what we're asking you to do but we're just asking you to do your part play your part and let God, in fact, do the rest. So without further ado, I know that this has been, you know, a lot to take in. And um, it definitely is a call to action for you to rise above the occasion and to do that which needs to be done. Your little part, but that you that little part that is going to be, you know, that last piece on the puzzle that is going to, to create this beautiful picture um, of the future that we all seek, that we all need, that we all demand, that we all deserve ultimately as humans that is that is me uh, and that has been reno stay blessed keep the movement going let this not die here sakina has spoken